0: Tell me what you gon' do, act a fool Somebody broke in and cleaned out your crib Boy, what you gon' do, act a fool Just bought a new pair and they scuffed your shoes Tell me what you gon' do, act a fool Now them cops trying to throw you in them county blues
1: Hey everybody and welcome to this special mini-series presented to you by your friends at Days of Thunder. This is The Cast and the Furious. uh, A look back at arguably um, the best booked pro-wrestling promotion in cinema history dating back, oh, two decades now. Uh, I'm your host, Dave Ryan, uh, podcasting a quarter mile at a time. And like all great team up movies, I have brought together um, an all star team to break down and and look back at uh, these films uh first he is a podcast stablemate over here at the pwom podcast network from the strong style story podcast it is chris Damasano. chris how are you my friend
2: hey i'm doing good dave good to be here and i was told that there was a western hemisphere quota that needed to be met when talking about these movies so i am here to fulfill that particular set of duties
1: yeah, exactly. And, and it, it, it was a thing where uh, we, we, we just couldn't trust Lee Malone with something this important. The, <laughs> the lack of professionalism that man brings to audio. We needed to bring in the big guns for this, Chris. So I'm glad to have you on board. Um, and
2: we're not alone. That's the best part of it.
1: That is it. And joining me from my other podcast, Link to the Cast. Uh, he is Chelsea's favorite son. It's Jack Lazell, the man often described as the head of the table. How are you, my friend?
0: Hi, Dave. I was told there was an idiot quota that you needed to fill on this here <laughs> podcast, and you know what? Yeah. I was able to come in and drop myself
1: right in it. I was going to say, and even in spite of the fact that I was on it, you decided to come in and add to the idiot
0: quota. <laughs> Yeah, so it's basically just Chris and the pair of clowns. <laughs> yeah. Um, Godspeed, Chris. Dealing uh, with us. Dealing rip, with the clown show. Ripping pieces. <laughs> You're
1: about to find out just how much gets cut out of your average link to the cast episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I haven't even mentioned Bob Hoskins yet. Yeah. No, but uh, that's not to say he's, he's never far away from our lips in this series. Um, so, yes, The Fast and Furious, um, an iconic film franchise. F- F9, The Fast Saga, as I believe it's officially being titled, It's out in... Uh, June 2021 in most of the world, except South Korea, who for reasons best known to the filmmakers are getting it a month early. Uh, Hong
0: uh, Kong
2: we, as well is getting. Hong it. Kong South as Korea well. and Hong Kong yep.
1: Uh,
0: I That's mean, true. if we were really committed, we would be on planes right now uh, <laughs> recording recording two days before it's a live cast from the back of the cinema
2: but let's be realistic here uh there is still a worldwide pandemic out there at the moment so planes bit of a tricky subject right about now
1: the thing is, Jack isn't even the only person in my life who keeps suggesting that I fly over to Asia as soon as possible. My manager in work keeps going, have you seen the prices of flights to China? And I keep saying to him, yeah, you know why? <laughs> it's like, I'm not <laughs> against flying to China. It's just the timing of it is, you know. So suspect at best.
0: Do do you think maybe he was trying to set up a Google alert for something else and accidentally set up (laughs) flights to China China China. as a Google alert and then every day his phone's telling him how cheap they are and that's all he can see? Um, With
1: uh the the ninth uh numbered fast and furious uh coming out so soon we thought it was a good idea to go back and uh with the dearth of contemporary professional wrestling that's on at the moment uh look into something that has a uh, better high spots better drama and certainly uh more uh believable baby faces than a lot of professional wrestling um it's we're pretty good to, heels too i gotta to say yeah, yeah. A, a, a pretty good heels that is for sure um we're going to be tackling this, we think, uh, two films at a time. We're going to see how that goes uh, as we get into the later and frankly sillier entries that we love so much. Uh, that may expand out. We will. It remains to be seen. But at the moment, uh, our first episode is going to be talking about the original, The Fast and the Furious, and its sequel – Too Fast, Too Furious, uh, from 2001 and 2003, respectively. But before we get into those movies, I want to go around the the virtual table here and just explore everyone's history with the franchise. Now, Chris, what was uh, your first point of contact with the Fast and Furious movies? Were you in from the beginning, or or where did you jump in at?
2: It was Tokyo Drift as my first one, because at the time, I was working at a movie theater uh, at the time that it got released, so... I got to see it a couple of times there at no cost. And hey, it's, you know, fast cars. It was drifting. It reminded me a lot of uh, Initial D for those who might be familiar with that particular series. And gradually started working my way back through the first two movies and then sort of following it here and there. Because at that point, I want to say at least here, stateside, they were already starting to play like the first Fast and Furious. I'm like... The uh, cable-like movie networks and stuff like that is like a prime Time movie sort of deal. Uh, But I want to say it was really Fast Five that got me to the point where I'm like, well, okay, I need to actually go see this pretty much every opening weekend that it comes out at this point going forward. And that tradition has been kept up until Hobbs and Shaw, because that took a while for me to eventually see. But Mm. everything else I've been, mainline-wise, I've been good at keeping track of them.
1: Yeah, I think it's something that we'll probably reflect on when we get to it is that I think, whereas um, in the initial four films, there's stuff to pick out and stuff to enjoy for sure. I think Fast Five is where it became kind of appointment event cinema um, to go see, not for the sake of spoilers, but just for the sake of, oh, my God, this looks big and dumb. I need to see it as soon as possible. Uh, Jack, where was your... uh, latching on point to the series uh, and where were, it was an immediate love for you or did it take a couple of films for it to hit
0: so um funnily enough my first girlfriend when i was like 15 she had a bunch of dvds and among them were fast and furious number one and too fast too furious so the exact two movies that we're going to be watching today and i had seen neither of them because you know i wasn't massively into the whole sort of custom car scene which became really really huge like in the late 90s early 2000s you got the need for speed video games and stuff that franchise was was massive and there was very much that sort of like you know boy racer putting like blue lights under your car subaru Mm -hmm. and loving characters that were just sort of coming out of the woodwork Mm -hmm. yeah um as you as you can tell, probably from my general demeanor and the things that I like, that is not applying to me whatsoever. But you know what? I uh, I remember we used to we used to put on movies and stuff, and you know sometimes I pay attention to them, sometimes not so much. But there was just something about Fast and Furious movies that I I kind of grew affectionate towards. I I think it's they're just so easy to watch. I find these first two films like a real easy watch. Like they're not. Particularly, you know, uh, on the same level, <laughs> <What>? <laughs> <laughs> on the same level as the things which came later, which are yeah. just you know pure spot fests. If we're going to go with the there's wrestling lot, analogies, there's a
2: lot of camp involved, to say the least.
0: Oh yeah, uh, definitely. Um, but there was just something about it, and I kind of missed out on Tokyo Drift um, because, to me, you know, when you have a movie franchise that has a like a seminal first entry. There may be a sequel or whatever. And then subsequent releases go straight to DVD. Like my, my comparison for that time period was like you had the American Pie movies and then like American Wedding. And then mm. there were like that, like the weird spin-offs that just had Eugene Levy and like right, the Naked yeah. Mile and stuff. Mm-hmm. I kind of viewed Tokyo drift through those eyes. And I yeah. guess when I went back and watched it, I was kind of wrong to do that. Because it's actually Pretty decent movie, mm-hmm. and uh, if if I knew Big Vinny D was popping up at the end, I'd be like, "Hey, I, I should have gone and seen this straight away." And then I kind of got back into it, Fast and Furious. I was like, "Yeah, you know, nah, nah, that's okay, that's fine." And then Fast Five, and that was just poof, right. Okay, this is I, that they've taken this up to another level right now, mm-hmm. um, mainly because of the Rock's goatee in the movie. I feel like really carried me over the finishing line for me getting yeah. back into the movies. Uh, but yeah, I. I had a sort of like a a wax and wane kind of interest, but much like Chris, Fast Five put me right back on the course. And now I couldn't be, it's almost not quite at the level of new Marvel movie coming out, but just on the rung, just below that as to when I see a Fast movie on the horizon. But this time we've been waiting so long for Fast Nine, that genuinely, despite Chris's entirely sensible proclamation that yes, there is a pandemic going on, I'm also thinking about Dave's manager. The proposition of hmm, have you seen how cheap flights to China are right now? Because yeah. I need to see this movie uh, yeah. three hours and twenty three minutes of it. Feel yeah. the hype, son.
1: Um, yeah, for me it was a thing where so like I saw and this this will this will will date us as as gentlemen in our autumn years. I first saw the first Fast of Yours movie on videotape. Um, wow! Yes, it was. Yeah, Good old it year, was. Yeah, it was one of those that was the late VHS, early DVD era uh, movies, like as, as Jack alluded to, a girlfriend of his had them on DVD, Well, my aunt had them on on VHS, had the first one. And I watched it there, and I thought, um, as I often thought around this time with movies that involved cars, it's good, but it's no Gone in 60 Seconds, I thought to myself yeah. at the time. <laughs> one I of mean- my...
2: An interesting note, since we're going to be talking about these movies as well. But the first one coming to mind, they wanted uh, Timothy Oliphant to play uh, Don Toretto initially because of what he did in Gone uh, in sixty
0: seconds, and then he just
1: yeah. So, no sort of... Oh, that is a different franchise. So... They
0: saw sort of him uh... trying to chug that furniture, and they were like, "We need to get Fantastic in this shit right yeah. now."
1: Damn straight. Um So I saw And I was like Yeah I, I enjoyed it And then I saw Too Fast Too Furious On a Like on a school trip uh, We went to the cinema and, and saw Too Fast Too Furious And I remember At the time Enjoying it But then as the kind of heyday that Jack was describing of, like, street racing being a cool thing that's all over TV and movies. When I went back to see it then a few years later on DVD or download or whatever way I saw it, I was like, "Oh, I don't, I don't like this at all. <laughs> this is really like it. It felt more dated than even the first one." But I suppose we'll we'll get into this. And and much like you guys, it was in the rock era of Fast and Furious movies where I was like, "Okay, yeah, now now I get what's going on here." And I think it was. Only me that got what was going on here, I think the filmmakers as well. Like, they something we'll probably talk on, particularly in the next episode, is how they basically stumbled into this being a franchise. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't thought out from the beginning as this massive 11 film arc, it kind of um, was a, a sensational start. Uh, Too Fast, Some... Too Furious definitely critically panned mm-hmm. at the time, uh, and then kind of like. I think it was like a round four where they're like, Oh, there's something here. We can kind of rehab and we can go forward. And then they kind of, they hit the nas and never look back then from that point. Um, before uh, the last thing, before we start, uh, just to gauge where you guys are now before this big rewatch project, um, go around the table, uh, Favorite and least favorite uh, in the the mainline franchise. We'll leave uh, Hobbs and Shaw off on its own island for now, uh, and come to that in time. Uh, but Jack,
0: favorite and least favorite entries in the franchise. I Fast Seven uh, is probably my favorite. I just think that 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 kind of took it to a level of spectacular, with some of the things that happened in that movie that I just, yeah. I, I you know it's another fast five was a buy-in and then Fast seven was like, uh, Oh fuck. I'm never leaving this franchise. You know, you know that moment when you realize you're in love with someone (laughs) 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 in cinematic form, I was like, ah, these guys, they're just fucking out to lunch now. Like completely like they're building jumps and shit. I'm just like, Oh yes. Right. Uh, and the least favorites, probably the fast and furious, uh, the 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 2009 kind of reboot of the franchise is a bit it's mm-hmm. mm, it's it there's you know i'll we'll rewatch it and you know i can i can reappraise it kind of in 2021 eyes but it didn't really make that much of an impression on me it was kind of like one of those you sort of get under the belt but i think it's because it's so overshadowed by how much of a big pop i got at fast five but you know mm. uh, what about you chris
2: for me initially for the longest time when thinking about this initially it was Fast Five, but then I realized just the ending of Six and the way that it tied in a huge event in Tokyo Drift that we will talk about next episode around into Fast into Furious Seven. Basically, there's no way of like not putting that at the top of the list outright. Yeah, Uh, just Mm. it's remarkable what they what they set up in six and how much it paid off in seven as well throughout that whole mm-hmm. process. And least favorite I would say it's sort of a tie between Too Fast, Too Furious, and Fast Four. Just yeah. they hit the mark in some ways, but then in other ways it just wow, uh, you guys have no idea what you're doing here. Were you?
1: <laughs> yeah uh my favorite would probably be um specifically the runway chase (laughs) six like that as its own movie is one of my favorite movies um and then least favorite i'm probably the same as you chris it's like it's a dead heat sometimes between two and four i usually say as jack knows that two is my least favorite um because of as you said the way the hits and misses land in two and four i think i I lean on the side of four not being as bad because it kind of has a lot of dirty work to do to set the, yeah. the tracks back in order for mm. what's to follow. And I don't think you can get to five without four. But yeah. again, that that is something we'll address in our next episode. We're, we're going to kick off here with uh, The Fast and the Furious from 2001. It released uh, June 22nd, 2001 with a runtime of 106 minutes on a budget of $38 million. It made back $207.3 million. That is pretty damn great. Um, there are two notable things about this movie, just to start the discussion. Um, th- this kind of period of Fast and Furious. Furious. Um, and that is, one, how you know, when you go from the the more recent films back to this, how genre-wise, this is an entirely different film. Like, If if you're a new fan to the franchise and you go back, you're probably thinking, what the fuck is going on here?
2: It's kind Um, of the way in which people think of these newer fast movies as, well, they're heist movies involving a lot of cars, a lot of stunts and everything in between, but you go back to 2001 in this movie, it's very much grounded in full-fledged uh, street racing car culture which yeah. it, it's interesting t- to happen in los angeles as well too i'm always thinking to myself for doing wrestling comparisons and booking the territory properly this is like the lucha underground of fast and furious movies at this point just mm-hmm. setting environment and just
0: and i I don't know man i could i could definitely see like a power sliding um racing thing to hang me from the moon by the uh barbarian overlords uh <laughs> yeah, if definitely. you want to take it full la and go pwg <laughs> um so yeah jack like even though uh,
1: there's still like an element of of a heist and theft going on in here it's very much in in the background and it is as chris said that that kind of street racing culture the, these movies did come about uh when the screenwriter uh read an article in vibe magazine called racer x uh about the street racing circuit in new york so maybe Mm -hmm. a little bit um maybe for budgetary reasons because shutting down all of new york rather than let's just make somewhere look vaguely like la uh would be a lot more expensive um that the the location changed over multiple drafts but um what, what do you think of the, the tone of this movie, Jack, like r- relative to the, the, the rest of them? Because, like, in some ways, it's a it's a culture shock almost going back. But in some ways, it's like I think the last time I rewatched it, I, I text you and I said, like, it's it's nice and quaint almost.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, the thing that makes you realize how much of a 2001-ass movie this is is when you're hearing Roland by Limp Biscuit within oh, the yeah. first five, ten minutes of the film. I, I like... By the I was bard, really wh-
1: Fred Durst himself.
0: Yeah, the, uh, the air raid... Was it Air Raid Assault Vehicle? Yeah, and, of- and, and
2: then- it's like they had that version, and I think they had the urban mobile like assault version as well, with like DMX and a couple of others that had yeah, a couple like of seconds, Red Man but... is on it. Yeah,
0: mm-hmm. yeah. Yep. Y-
2: you have stuff like Saliva's Click Click Boom and Superstar making it into it as well. Oh, like yeah. Debonair by dope during the whole like police raid scene that eventually happens later on into it. It's and then of course you have you know. You can't get more 2001 than Ja Rule in his prime. <laughs> being like a heavy part of the soundtrack which
1: that's something i i think that you know i'm not saying that this is like looking back on the collective works of shakespeare or anything but i do feel like every time i go back to the movies there's something else i find myself fixating on in my head and this time you two just hit on it there with one and two it was very much the soundtrack as like a time capsule of the period Mm -hmm. and i was thrown back to like it's not like i was illegally street racing on uh in la at the age of i think i would have been about 12 or 13 when this movie came out but <clears throat> uh in terms of um like i i'm ov- obviously immersed in video games and when i got to as jack was talking about earlier on the fast and fear not the fast fear sorry the need for speed games like all this stuff is really throwing me back to a different time in my life a, a neon drenched time in my yeah. life in and, many I mean, you ways
2: had, you had need for speed but you also had like midnight club was starting to become a thing as well too on the ps2 at the time mm. uh gran turismo was definitely like taking from yeah. that car culture and like integrating it further and further with the more entries that it had in its <laughs> franchise so it was a yeah. rampant thing during the 2000s in the movies and these specifically i think these first fast and furious movies helped in that regard for sure
1: Yeah, I I definitely think so. The other thing that I think is remarkable um, about this pair of films, and it's probably, you know, it's part of why it's handy to be talking about two of them at once, is these are really the two films in which uh, it's it's very obvious that that Brian O'Connor, Paul Walker is the main character. He is the protagonist because obviously after these two, you go to Tokyo Drift. And then when it returns to the familiar characters in four, it's very much, you get one film where it's kind of him and Vin are co-leads. And then it's very much the Vin Diesel slash the rock show from there on out. Um, Yeah.
0: And how, again, just to make sure that we really know that it's 2001, the sort of blonde overgrown highlights haircut oh, that yeah. uh Paul walker is yeah. sporting in this movie
1: and, and uh, a series of enormous white t-shirts just
0: <laughs> gigantic t-shirts t-shirts so cavernous yeah but it's, it's to me it was the hair and the eyes and he just looks like he walked right out of like a you know that um blink 182 video where they're taking the piss out of all the boy band videos for yeah. um for uh all, the small, all the small things, things yeah yeah I, it, he looks like he is one of the people that they were parenting this he just looks like he walked straight out of the, the backstreet boys are in sync right into this movie it's definitely
1: um a thing where like um paul walker especially for the time as you say jack no one looked more like uh where did this guy come from movie star in two thousand one mm. than paul walker uh, and I think, like, I go back and forth on, on his acting chops. But I think, Chris, within the context of the Fast and Furious movies, I, I don't see anybody else that could do a better Brian O'Connor than than Paul Walker. You it know? just
2: had the right amount of camp awkwardness. And at the same time, like, he, he sold the brand, if you will. He was one hell of a baby face there for those first two movies yeah. as sort of the leading with, you know, a certain somebody playing the anti-hero kind of role that we've hmm. got accustomed to, so.
1: Yeah, it, it definitely did go on to become, uh, as you say the Vin Diesel show, uh, and in this he's definitely like the cooler than cool uh, anti-hero in, in this um <laughs> where, where, where do we go from here like talking about uh the man the myth the legend that is one vin diesel the man that uh uh notably when uh what film was it he can he he started to get a bit famous from was it um triple x right no it was before that it was all oh, the war film it's um Oh, it's escaping it me.
2: It but, wouldn't have been Riddick in this case. Cause, you know, that was his breakout room, but he wasn't saving Private Ryan at one point. I do know yeah,
1: So Yeah, so after he was in Save at Private Ryan and he got a bit of buzz, Jack will have heard this story before. He uh, once infamously left a voice message on his good friend Ben Affleck's phone that was just beep, I'm blowing up! <laughs> <laughs> and that was it. And that, that was the like the heralding of the age of Vin. Um <laughs> what what is there you can say, Jack, about Dominic Toretto? Um, he is the coolest man alive in this movie, in particular.
0: Yeah, I mean, look. First of all, he cares deeply about his family. Like yeah. that much is very is very clear. But yeah, if you were going to make like a sort of a mood board for Dominic Toretto, you're throwing you're throwing some sleeveless stuff up there. You obviously throwing a few Corona labels up there, maybe some yeah. beautiful women that he can kind of ignore um, and just <laughs> sort of, you know, be very, very Vin Diesel about it. Uh, uh, yeah, you know, I, I, Dominic, Dominic Toretto is at the evolution of Dominic Toretto. Like, I feel like he's a very different guy in in this um, movie where he kind of doesn't have. It's it's almost like he's searching. For something, like he's searching for a purpose, you know. He he mentions that he came out of jail and he doesn't want to go back, yet for some reason he's taken to boosting knockoff DVD plus <laughs> VHS. <laughs> Talking
1: about something that dates this movie.
0: <laughs> when you, um, literally, is it like the first shot of this movie is a truck full of DVD VHS, yeah. like, <laughs> combi players in the back yeah. of a lorry, like Panasonic, and you're just looking at it like fuck, like Dave. You mentioned you watched it on VHS. I watched it yeah. on DVD. It's very possible that that could have happened in the same device that he's eventually <laughs> trying to trying to nick in this movie. Yes, yeah, but but it he he's kind of like quite. He's it's. I, I don't listen. Someone's going to get really upset, right, with this comparison. But there's an element of early James Dean to him in, in these first few movies I think where there is very much that rebel without a cause that guy that like you say Dave where, where it's like Brian's the main character but Dom is just there and he's like a sort of you know overseer he's like a vandal with a heart you know he's this, he's this guy that he, he's rebelling against something he just, he, he's not really sure what but he's trying to make his way in Los Angeles and he loves the street racing but he's also got to look after everyone around him and there's this sort of like a, a kind of leader in the making you know where he's still not quite hasn't figured out like what he needs to do to be in charge of a proper crew and run shit um, and there's still sort of childish bits to him. But I think as he goes older and you go through the films, he he becomes more responsible. Yes, the things he does are way more irresponsible <laughs> in terms of the yeah. scale of the of the shit that he does. But yeah, that here I'd say like these early two films is it's it's the it's the father of the family just just gradually trying to figure out his shit here. And there's a bit of confusion, but yeah, I'm ultimately he's just fucking cool, isn't he? Yeah.
1: Um. The, so one of the themes of the whole franchise uh, as jack alluded to is family and how family is the most important thing even more important than breakfast but one of the other things that this uh franchise is synonymous with chris is uh people who are maybe on opposing sides working together and becoming begrudging friends and they you have that from the very start here you know i i kind of when you watch the recent movies you think oh it's a recent thing where oh the rock is the bad guy in five he's working with them in six then statum is a bad guy then he's working with them but like right from the off here you have uh brian and dom as opposing forces and i wouldn't say they fully come together by the end of this movie but there's cer- there's certainly um a, a respect and affection that that blossoms throughout in spite of mm-hmm. the fact that you know brian is an undercover cop who's coming here to essentially try and rumble this combi dvd vhs player ring
2: (laughs) it's just one of those circumstances where both guys are coming in from completely different backgrounds and initially for brian it's just about well i'm pretty much doing my job and trying to figure out what this torato guy is up to but then the more he gets involved in that world and the more that he learns about Toretto basically being the head of the table, the tribal chief of his community, if you will. Uh, And, of course, like Mia, uh, Dom's little sister, plays a huge hand in sort of keeping him grounded and around and at one point eventually making the turn that he does at the end of the first movie. But, yeah, the theme of rivals turned allies very much begins in this movie. And it's a trend that is actually very consistent throughout most of the entries we've had in the franchise so far. Mm. Um,
1: you know, we you mentioned, uh, Chris, how old uh, Ola Fantastic was nearly our Don Toretto. Uh, can I hit you with something? You, you may or may not have known this, who three of the candidates to have played uh, Brian O'Connor were before Paul Walker was discovered. Uh, Mark Wahlberg. Oh... Christian Bale, Interesting. wow, and Eminem. Damn,
2: <laughs> that one I could, that one I actually could have seen in two thousand and one for yeah. sure. Yeah, yeah, that
1: that would be maybe the only thing that could make it a more two thousand and one movie. Yeah, 100%. yeah, the height That's, of his powers, Eminem. I think probably
0: you want to talk about enormous white t-shirts, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> enormous jackets as well <laughs> my god eminem's jackets so i used to sort of like it was like a tent on him but um i feel like maybe he didn't want to do it because he wanted to go off and make eight mile because that came out like a year after this mm. But I, how different right the, the middle one there christian bale how different would his life and career have been if he was in this movie i don't think he gets <laughs> half the things like half the roles and yeah. stuff that he does in his career Although, like or, any of the plaudits christian, that he ends bale, up getting.
1: christian bale was still very up and down around this time because like obviously at american psycho in i think 2000 was it uh, but then like not long after that he's doing that dumb was it reign of fire the dragon movie yes um, uh, that, that was yeah. filmed oh. about an hour from my house
2: yeah reign Rain of fire definitely was a thing that happened in his career yeah. uh i hope
0: the money was good for whatever yeah. it's worth
1: yeah, it was more a thing that happened to his career.
0: <laughs> yeah, but, but do you guys honestly, if he's in this franchise, do you think directors kind of take him as seriously, like as if he he would have had to have been consistent all the way through if yeah. if he was Brian O'Connor? I, I don't know if he, he does he end up as Batman. I'm thinking no I, way.
2: No, I'm I thinking it's unlikely on the basis that looking at his uh, filmography he had equilibrium in that year later in 2002 the machinist in 2004 and the batman begins came to yeah. him in 2005 and i'm pretty confident those three particular rules he probably doesn't end up doing them if he ends up committing yeah. to fast one and fast two yeah
0: definitely yes. not the machinist oh, i mean he couldn't slim down like that and stand next to luda yeah. could he, for fuck's yeah. sake!
1: <laughs> whatever about like the kind of um like I don't want to say serious tone but more grounded tone of the Fast and the Furious imagining Christian Bale in too fast too furious is oh like God. too much for my brain to handle <laughs> yes. like like him him and Tyrese just hanging out is a like I I don't know what, what like what to make of that I'll hit you with one more alternate casting thing so uh for the role of Mia who very much is like um at emotional core of a lot of these movies mm-hmm. and i think is really yeah. Jordana breeze is like really underrated in that role uh, as keeping our two um our two testosterone fueled uh baby main faces. characters <laughs> baby faces uh, grounded and giving them stakes um she's just brilliant at it but um so the role itself was written for eliza dushku Turned it down. I can see that she
0: would be yeah. really
1: great. She, she would, her career would have gone much like. I like Eliza Dushku, but like yeah. her career is not like, unfortunately, not on the level of uh, people in this franchise. No, now.
2: It, it very much to me. It almost feels like Eliza Dushku would have been a fantastic choice for Letty if they didn't get Michelle Gonzalez for the
1: role. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. Um, I wait, wait till you hear this though. Uh, the people who auditioned for the role of Mia after that, so it was off written for and offered to Dushku. She turned it down and then auditioning for the role Jessica Beale,
0: Wow, mm.
1: Bijou Phillips, hmm, Sarah Michelle
0: Geller. Speaking of no, to fucking interesting. alumni,
2: interesting.
0: I feel like Michelle, Sarah Michelle Geller's is probably like, Nah, I'm too big right now to do this. It gets weirder. I've got two more for you,
1: Kirsten Dunst. Oh, wow. who like that's a sliding doors moment because oh, that means yeah. she's she's yeah. either fast and furious or spider-man, or Spider-Man Man. i was gonna point. say yeah. can you imagine uh, she had to make that choice and this one absolutely shit me up natalie
0: portman wow. oh my
1: god <laughs> 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 <at it. laughs>
0: different movies yeah i mean if natalie portman goes from like Phantom Menace into Fast and Furious again. She doesn't have the career that she's had, <laughs> no, and she no again, one Black takes Swan. her seriously.
2: But, but a weird <laughs> thing about it to me is that I think Natalie Portman would have made a career out of this somehow. It would have just been completely different movies, very different. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: I, I think it would have been like one of those because she's she's such a great actress that like maybe mm-hmm. it would have been a more substantial part in that mm-hmm. version yeah. of reality. Yeah, definitely. Um, but you want to talk with like the, those are the the nearly cast. but in terms of um perfect casting, uh, you mentioned there, Chris Michelle Rodriguez uh, you know, you want to talk with somebody at the peak of their powers in here. um her as Letty is just the most perfect Michelle Rodriguez role in the world. She's great. Uh, I'm so glad they they found a way for her back into the franchise in later films we'll we'll talk about yeah. that. But, it's very um, interesting,
2: too, because this was really, like, her second official role that she had ever up until that point. So this was, like, her breakout role at this point before going to do, like, Resident Evil and then some other small things before coming back for the other Fast and yeah. Furious.
1: And being in, an, I constantly, I rewatched it recently when I went on to Disney+, Plus. but I constantly forget that she was in a season of Lost. Mm-hmm. Um, like right before that thing went off a cliff uh, when the writer's strike happened. um. But yeah, Jack, she's so good in this, like as kind of, you know, she's Dom's girlfriend, but she's kind of like, she's not there as the eye candy of the movie. Very much she is her own character. She's a badass. She drives with the crew. Like it's, it's, it's definitely a role for a Michelle Rodriguez.
0: Yeah, also I, I kind of like that she she's supportive but she doesn't she's not like a sort of like you know how sort of tropey uh girlfriend movie girlfriend is like trying to dissuade character away from no you shouldn't do that and they make her naggy like she it's clear that she's not into Dom's uh combi dvd uh video player scheme she's just saying she ain't down right but she doesn't like tell him no you shouldn't do this or whatever she's still goes along with it like she's like look I, i'm not sure about this but i'm gonna go along with it and she she supports him and i think that's kind of important and yeah she has that it's like she's making the decision to go and do that and she has that real sort of independent fear streak to her that i think yeah. only it, it's almost like dominic everyone around him in his universe almost has to command a level of respect from him before he lets them into his familia uh, and i think that lei earned that uh, with, with dom just by being this sort of, like, independent fucking cool woman that, that came along and wasn't, like, you know, uh, impressed by his racing or, like, batting her eyelashes. at him. She, she was just her. She, she's fucking cool.
2: Yeah, and they even explain, go as far as explaining it in the movie when Gia and Brian are talking over dinner at the little Cuban restaurant where uh, Letty's been in the neighborhood. Like, she's known Dom and Vince ever since they were kids, and she was always into cars, which meant that dom held her interest at like age 10 and such but then she turned 16 and then dom is the one that's now interested so it's kind of a very interesting dynamic there that they've worked around with what little background we were given
1: for sure and one of my favorite little Letty moments uh, in it is the uh, complete lack of time she has uh, for the the women trying to get dom's attention at race wars yeah, yeah. she just she scares them off so uh, quick smart so she does um but yeah, this this whole crew that comes together—it doesn't feel like now. I, you know, I talked about how uh, God in sixty seconds is one of my my favorite movies, and is very much a kind of like uh, a distant cousin to the to this in in terms of uh, the kind of. Uh, glorification of driving fast cars on the streets, but uh, it doesn't have the same level of, of stunt casting as as that movie, because there was a lot of casting in Gone in 60 Seconds where it's people who were already big-ish names, mm-hmm. whereas this is a lot of people you kind of know better now than you did then, like this is you know, with the exception of Vin and his, and his saving Private Ryan, a lot of these people, it might be your first time seeing them in a film, and they really do gel well together as a crew I, yeah. I think like you you believe that this is a crew that have been hanging with each other for a long time um and one of the things i like about possibly uh, paul walker's dodgy acting chops particularly this early is that he definitely feels like marginally uncomfortable undercover and and i think that Mm. comes off very well in the movie and i don't know how much of that is deliberate or not
0: yeah i don't know if if he's kind of almost trying to look naive and like he doesn't really know what he's doing so they don't suspect him like if he came in as this like shit hot amazing racer guy with awesome cars out of nowhere then maybe they might suspect oh this is a bit suspicious but it's funny you should mention like about the stunt casting and stuff dave like this was, you said, $38 million budget, right? Whereas the budget for uh, Gone in 60 Seconds was like $103 million. Yeah. And you know, like, in terms of the way. Worth every look, penny, to be honest. I mean, like, I'd pay a billion if yeah. I could to have a Gone in 60 Seconds, yeah. too. Um, that's why I'm not a billionaire. But, but hey, yeah. what are you I mean,
2: think? The interesting thing, too, is that with Gone in 60 Seconds, it made. Uh, 237 million or so off of the hundred million dollar budget, and with Fast One coming at 207.3 million, is the official numbers. That's not bad for a movie that had, you know, three times less that particular yeah. budget there. So it's it didn't just, have Nicolas
0: Cage, yeah. It like, did not, you know, did not like have Nicolas England Cage
2: was... as well. Keep that in yeah. mind. She was there too. One of...
1: So, one of the things that, um, is particularly beguiling about these movies chris is the way that the driving is shot and you can see that from the very start when you have the first race that puts brian on um on dom's radar yeah. um where you know the the great line from brian that oh man i almost had you um <laughs> like i, I
2: and, did... and vin diesel just got a promo on him for two minutes straight at the end which is yeah, yeah.
1: So something that the franchise is known for, even in the weaker installments, is that the driving just looks great. Um, And and do you want to talk for a little bit about just about like uh, some of the action in this movie and, and how great it looks?
2: Yeah, I just think that was one of the high points of the movie and probably what made it as successful as it was, is just the way that they shot those particular action scenes and giving you that sort of bird's eye view of the car as guys were going, you know, 120 plus miles per hour. Uh, the shots, that, the composition of shots, just everything involving the cinema cinematography of it mm-hmm. was incredibly well done for its time and it captured that feel of full-fledged street raising in the streets of Los Angeles. So, it yeah. definitely did that quite well. And as you mentioned, just that entire first race between the four racers with Dom winning and just the last second against Brian and Brian going, well, oh, man, I almost had you. And then the iconic line of, you know, every real street racer knows that whether it's by an inch or a mile, winning is winning. Yeah.
1: Uh, and he also has a line in there about man you didn't even have your car
2: yeah you didn't
1: have me which is great uh just fantastic stuff from from vin there uh jack what, what do you think about like again this is jesus 20 years ago now this movie is and apart from a couple of uh cg shots when they do the NAS injections in these early movies i still think the actual like the practical effects and stunt driving in this look fantastic
0: yeah, it looks very good. I, I think what I like about it isn't just kind of the, the shot composition stuff, but I just think it's edited really well. Like, there's a really kinetic pace to the movie. Like we said, it's like an hour and 40, hour and 45 kind of runtime, and it doesn't feel like it wastes any scenes. You know, I, I think, like, the the way that we get to the first race very, very quickly And they establish who these characters are and what their relationships are with one another. Um, Like, and then we're right right into a a street race scene, Mm. Uh, and it just gives you like a a a nice snippet of of an introduction to not pad too much stuff out, Mm. and then it makes it feel like it's about the racing right away. And I think the the, the shots of just like all the people around the cars and the crews and the people that are attracted to it, it it gives you an idea right away of like oh okay this is this is a big deal so you see these characters and okay they're, they're not getting on and stuff or whatever it's the start of the movie but then it's like oh fuck right the entire crux of this relationship is going to be born out of this sport in competition like We think we talk a lot about, um, you know, me me and you, Dave, we've spoken a lot about sporting movies and like what sports movies that we really like, but this should be considered a sports movie, I think because of the way it is and like, because of the way it works and because of the fact that it is a direct competition between two men to see which one of them is better than the other.
1: Yeah, I I guess so, because that's the thing, you know, uh, I, I mentioned already about how the street racing is, 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 uh, center stage in this and the actual kind of uh, quote unquote bad guy of this movie in, in Johnny Tran is, oh, is Johnny. very much like Johnny Tran is like a real cool looking guy uh, but his role in this is really perfunctory like it's really just kind of he's there as just a, a source of a conflict that is meant to bring Brian and Dom together he, do, he doesn't really feel terribly
0: f- fleshed out if you know what i mean yeah a bit like johnny b from uh, gone in 60 seconds <laughs> <laughs> but yeah i mean it i think his beats especially towards the end of the movie like the first hmm. the first half of the movie is the 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 rivals are uh are brian and dom and then they kind of add johnny is just a, a he's more of a device isn't he to bring yeah. the two together yeah. in, a, in a way so i Maybe not the the best example of a, of a heel. Because um,
2: yeah.
0: going forward, we have some fucking good ones mm-hmm. later yeah. on.
2: You have a couple of feuds happening there at the same time. You have Brian and Vince butting heads over Mia, mainly, as a force. You have Dom and Brian's like uneasy nature relationship at that. You have the obvious yeah. tag team of Dom and Letty pretty much kicking ass at every given turn. You have the rest of Dom's crew who are Pretty loyal for the for the most part there, and then Johnny Trent serving as the sort of antagonistic force that they initially think is the guy behind the whole uh, VHS DVDs scheme, but then turns out that's not him really. It's Dom and the screw all along, so it's just kind of like
1: it's interesting couple of swerves where it's like the movie is like, Oh, you know, the, the police at first are like, Oh, it's, it's definitely Toretto. Brian gets in. He's like, it's not, it's this guy, Johnny Tran. And it starts moving towards, it is Johnny Tran. And then swerve of swerves. It turns out it was Dom all along. Mm -hmm. Um, but something I, I I really like like as the kind of the instigating incident to bring the two men who are at loggerheads together is the uh, the little bit with Johnny Tran and Jesse who's like the jumped up kid of the crew who uh, gets himself into deep in a race with uh Johnny Tran who uh, has a lot more it's one of those <laughs> There's a moment in both of these films we talk about where somebody uh, underestimates the amount somebody has under the hood of a car and gets left in the absolute dirt. Mm. And um, yeah, that whole thing with uh, Jesse panicking and running away, because it was his dad's car, was it?
0: Yeah, Yeah. he just hightails it out of there.
1: Yeah, and and then he he ends up getting shot by uh, by
0: Johnny Tran's crew. That whole whole drive-by Jesse dying scene and, like, Don you know coming out from the, the the back and jumping over the car and, and running towards Jesse it's just like that is peak you know action hero shit that is one of the like in terms of the actual physical outside of car's moments in this movie that is the most action hero shit we get i think where he's despite the the bullets raining at him which are all terribly shot apart from the one that wounds Jesse and the one that kills him yeah
1: I gotta yeah, say they that... real like stormtrooper levels of shot accuracy. Yeah, the, <laughs> time. yeah,
2: that sort of drive. I was just like, well, uh, they went to stormtroopers sort of academy for how to yeah. aim and shoot. Although the interesting part is that before that too, where before that particular scene goes down, where Johnny Trent's accusing Dom Toretto of being the one who ratted him out to the police, and don just proceeding to beat the schnoz out of him absolutely basically no. do, the shit out of him you do not call don Toretto a snitch is basically what you need to <laughs> yeah. learn out
1: of this part Just... of me thinks that you don't call vin diesel a snitch that it yeah. is like, it felt like a bit more of a shoot and <laughs> that was the thing I, I read in in preparing for this podcast is that at some point during production of this movie uh, vin diesel did break a stuntman's nose Uh, may well
0: have been during this scene
2: considering the amount of rewrites that he wanted just to get in this movie in the first place yeah that doesn't surprise me
0: but by the way way. did you guys feel bad for Jesse when he got shot I was kind of a bit like yeah you should have given him a car mate you lost like you know you could have avoided this whole situation this wasn't a it it very
1: much like I I felt bad that the guy got shot but at the same time it was very much he he dug his own hole sort of thing like this was a problem of his own creation if they had come up and shot him in cold blood I think it would have been even more tragic but yeah I get what you mean
2: It's also a situation where we moved on so immediately to Dom and Brian giving chase to Johnny Trent at that point, too.
1: Yeah, Yeah. which is an awesome scene. This is not a movie that gives you the time for the emotional beats to breathe, is for sure. Um, That's
0: why I like it, though. That's what I meant with that kinetic pacing. I'm like, yep, snap, 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 snap. It makes it a really easy film to rewatch because I'm not sitting around. There's not a lot of expositional dialogue in this movie. No which is something that you get in a lot of films now, because I feel like there's almost, in the age of the internet as it is now, because it's like, we, still kind of salad days of everyone getting them very online in, in 2001, that there wasn't there wasn't as much of a, a demand and a need for a specific backstory. Like Chris mentioned, like we get a little bit about what Letty was like and what Dom, uh, uh, with her dump growing up, but we don't get a fully fleshed out, like, you know, that scene in the diner could have been like, Twenty minutes long, where they're like going through, like, oh yeah, here's why I fancy lei Here's our complete history and all that sort of stuff. No, fuck that. We get a little bit, and it's the same here. It's like, okay, Jesse's dead, right? Well, we better go stop Johnny Tran because clearly he's gotten too big for his fucking boots you, you, right you now. You
1: get just enough plot to understand why we're moving on from this bit of the plot yeah. <laughs> to the it, next bit,
0: exactly. Yeah. But because the internet, I think the internet created that that need, that demand to explain and understand and have like a lore and a backstory that just really I mean, apart from specific cult movies like a Star Wars or a Blade Runner or something, there wasn't a demand in your sort of average action flick to have like yeah. a whole backstory behind things before.
2: The main yeah. story beats that they needed to cover, they did and they mostly involved Don Toretto as a person as to why he did the things that he did, uh why he uh you know, beat a guy to near death with a wrench is because That guy caused the accident that killed his father, you know, a couple of years back. So it's just, you get those bits of exposition there, but the movie itself doesn't hang around a lot of that. It's either focused on getting you from point A to point B, C, D, so on and so forth, or giving you something in between that's adding to the stakes or whatever's going to be at the next point of the story.
0: Exactly,
1: yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, it, it's funny because I talked about how um, Johnny Tran is kind of like a weak sauce bad guy, but it's almost like the the biggest source of antagonism in this movie for Brian in particular is, is Vince, which is weird because like Vince acts like the, the biggest asshole in the world to him, Chris, but it, at the end. He, he's right it's very much that onion headline of the the worst guy you know uh made a great point
2: yeah it's heartbreaking the worst person you know made a fantastic point and but- yeah uh, it's just one of those things again mia was the confrontational pull between these two to begin with dating back to the very start of the movie where you know he's confronting uh brian about coming over to the restaurant and eating tuna sandwiches every fucking day yep. from the looks of
1: it. Mm. By the yeah. way, how... I loved what, his line as, like,
0: bullshit, nobody likes the tuna here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> how fucking Back to the Future uh, 1955 bit is that whole thing of, like, him walking into the into the cafe and getting the a sandwich and everything, and then like, you know, Vince is the equivalent of Biff Tannen turning up and grabbing him on the back and saying, but fly! Uh, yeah. It's it, it yeah. just that but Vince is such i mean it, again you know i took we talk about 2001 tropes but he's such a great like meathead bad guy from that era like back when meathead was like a real kind of thing that you would say as like a sort of muscle jock twat you know you know how they made Flash Thompson in like Spider-Man the year Mm, after this like he he has that exact vibe with like the the douche haircut and the you know muscles and the overconfidence or whatever and thinking he's God's gift to women but you know not having that sensitive side which is why Brian ends up with Mia and not him at the end of the day Yeah, but yeah I just think that trope has passed perfect with vince
2: and again with 2001 being 2001 the way it was we definitely heard some very coarse language as well too that would not fly in any way shape or form in 2021 oh yeah there was an
0: there was an f-bomb and not that sort of f-bomb which
2: exactly just like oh well this is very 2001 all of a sudden
0: yeah i was shocked because i did not remember it and then i i guess like the usage of that word was way more flagrant and regular than i had any memory of so Mm -hmm. like when you go back and say like when um so we have a movie club me and dave with one of our good friends and when we went back and watched even bill and ted they drop like f like fag in there like when they pull themselves into a hug like as a joke to say like oh yeah you know we, we we may love each other but we're not like that Um, And I was shocked because I I just didn't remember it. And it's amazing how when you go back and look at things through different prisms, you just start to notice like the fraying at the edges of like, oh, okay, like people used to talk like this and do these sort of things. So it's hard through modern eyes to like, do you you know does it bring the movie down for you when you hear something like that or are you just like okay it was 2001 or okay that's what people used to say and and, because that's kind of my approach to it but i don't know like dave i would would ask you like the usage of that word does that take a chunk out of the movie for you or how do you feel Um, i think i'm able at this point to like uh, you know
1: uh understand that it was a much more normalized word at the time that like Mm. whereas it's unpleasant to hear um and you know by a 2021 standard that this movie came out, I'd absolutely be admonishing it more. I, I very much like yeah. it's one of those at the time this word was just thrown about. Unfortunately, so much that it's kind of like you know uh, other words like a lot of ableist language would have still been thrown around at the time as well. um And it, it becomes tough with with movies that are real time capsules of the time you. you much as there's that part of your brain that's like, oh, it's you can't judge a finished, completed uh, work of the time by current day standards because it's just not how it works, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and whereas it did kind of, like I said, gave me pause for that second, like it didn't kind of um, overall harm my experience of the film because I I, I have that kind of uh, I don't know if it's cognitive dissonance or or what it is. What what what's your take on it, Chris?
2: I think it's just the fact that again looking back on it yeah that was 20 years ago and we've come a long way since and still have a long way to go in certain aspects but it's more it's it's more again as you mentioned it's a time capsule just in, encompassing what was there at that time and specifically it's where if in twenty twenty one I think if they were given a chance to rewrite some of the stuff back mm. then, probably with hindsight being twenty twenty, most of those most of the guys involved in that probably would have done a couple of different things with that.
1: Yeah. Specifically on but- the
2: language perspective, but
1: yeah like you want to talk about one of the huge current stars of this movie the rock you want to look at the things he was saying out loud 20 years ago yeah exactly if you go for <laughs> oh, like God, yeah.
2: 1997 through 2003 catalog yeah just
0: it's rough yeah. it, it it i mean it's probably things that were being fed to him
1: though i would imagine <laughs> yeah for sure um So before we move on, because I think we've kind of uh, we've kind of exhausted most of our topics around uh, the original Fast and Furious. Um, Jack, do you have anything else that you want to add before we kind of uh, wrap things up here for the first movie?
0: Uh, No, not really. It's funny because like like wrapped up at the end of it, I was going to talk a bit about the the soundtrack, but um, like Chris already hit some pretty some pretty good points on that. But yeah, it is. It is click click boom, hearing that in any film, like just immediately, like is there any song that like leans more towards trying to create a macho atmosphere than that piece of music? Yeah, true. Like, the yeah. most testosterone driving possible piece of music that you could find. Uh, yeah, uh, but no, I I really love this. I. So I, I want to talk about like the last scene and stuff like that because you know Dom and Brian's race, uh, when they're they they're they're like neck and neck and they go through the the train barrier and like crash through that and like just miss getting wiped out by a train by like mere inches and stuff. I actually think like that that double shot, that double like wide shot of like both the cars just like neck and neck smashing through the barrier at the same time is one of the coolest fucking shots of this whole movie. And like Mm. the precision of driving that it must've taken the stunt drivers to get this like dead on accurate, like Mm. brashing through the barrier, like this real kind of massive explosion of like wood and shit. And just awesome. Like it was, it was so good. And then cutting the perspectives in the cars before, you know, Dom has to swerve and you know, that, that whole dramatic pause of like you're not sure how the two of them feel about each other at the time but after the crash that kind of gets immediately eliminated and Brian running over to Dom it's just such a it's such a huge transitional moment because at that point you think he's Brian's figured out how he feels about this guy and he trusts this guy and he's starting to love this guy and the idea of him being hurt and stuff like that to me is like the real crux of the film here when you see the relationship between the two characters and the fact that you know he has a real choice here. Whether it, does he do his job as this undercover cop and and take Dom in, or or does he let him go? Does he give him the car? And like the the sirens are blaring in the background, and it's very much a gut feel. And I I I think that moment is it's it's such a great foundational uh, moment for the relationship between Brian and Dom. Like they've been through some shit together. Like they're they're on an equal footing at that point. You know I feel like Dom's always seeing him as like ah, it's just this guy, or like, you know, he's trying to he's trying to date my sister. But at that point, I think the two men see each other as equals, and I think that's a cool moment that they deliver at the end of the movie there. Um,
1: what about you, Chris? Anything else you want to touch on in the first movie before we move on? I
2: think, on? yeah, Jack touched specifically on the key scene there at the end, which just phenomenal throughout. But I do want to touch on one slight other thing with the soundtrack and the fact that this was sort of where we started seeing... Uh, the franchises uh, kind of take on bringing in recording artists to do smaller roles in the movies as well. Cause Ja Rule yes. had a minor role in this yeah. and somehow convinced them to feature like, you know, two or three of his songs and, you know, murder and the like, which was, <laughs> it, it, it's an interesting note, but it goes even further into the sequel, which we're going to be talking about here shortly because, my God! <laughs> if you ja Rule walked, so a certain someone could run.
1: <laughs> Luda, um, <laughs> you know? I I think if uh, if I were to mention one more thing, I I love the scene where um the the two scenes one where uh Brian reveals to Mia that he's a cop, and then when he he makes it clear to Vin that he's a cop as well, and I think that's like some of the best acting in the whole franchise, the look of shock and betrayal on both of them. And it's
0: specifically on Vin, the look of I'm going to kill this motherfucker. <laughs> like God but, damn. But they do it so well. Like I I love the background of like him, like ringing in the, um the helicopter and shit like to, yeah, it, it, the, the, like he's, he really has to do it. And then there's that thing of like, like you say, the acting of like Brian selling it, like, and, and Paul Walker so great of like, look, I'm, I'm so sorry, but like this, I had to do this. And then Dom, like I would kill this motherfucker right now. If he wasn't like yeah. saving this yeah. person, the two, the two of them locked eyes. Oh, uh,
1: as it's happening is yeah. is fantastic. It's great. Um, <clears throat> so uh, before we move on, I will say one last bit of trivia that I, I I read about during this. It's my favorite thing, and it's definitely I will tell you a piece of trivia. I will one hundred percent guarantee Vin Diesel leaked himself. <laughs> uh, so Dominic Toretto's RX-7 in this movie originally had a roll cage fitted, and it had to be removed to accommodate his physique.
0: <laughs> he was t-
1: he was too hench for a roll cage. <laughs> <laughs>
0: That is not <laughs> trivia. That is uh, that is wishful thinking that uh, I think Vin Diesel was let out onto the internet right there. I'd uh. like to think he writes a Wikipedia for his own movies.
2: Oh, 100%. I fully yeah. believe
0: it. Um, so we'll move
1: on then uh, to t- 2003's sequel, Too Fast, Too Furious. Um, incredibly directed by John Singleton of Boys in the Hood fame, which yeah. is just like it's funny because you know for all of us it's in the running for the worst of the franchise but it is probably like the biggest name director the entire franchise has ever had because justin lynn is a guy who partly made his name doing these movies so Mm -hmm. like it would be unfair to call him the biggest name john singleton is like the biggest existing name brought in to helm one of these so it's it's just wild. And this one, uh, we don't see the return of Vin Diesel as Dom Toretto. This was during the brief period where Vin Diesel sort of seemed to think he was kind of above these movies and didn't want to necessarily sign back on. There was uh, also
2: a Riddick sequel as well, too, that he wanted to go film.
1: So Yeah, that was it. It was like, so there was, was it Pitch Black was the original one with the Riddick character in it, and then it was, was it yeah, Chronicles, the Chronicles of Riddick. Chronicles, yeah, Chronicles of yeah. Riddick was a yeah, sequel, so. yes. So that was the one at the time that he at least thought was a safer bet for mm-hmm. turning into a franchise before returning and very much being the uh, too fast and furious what uh, Bruce Willis is to die hard as the the guardian of that franchise. Um,
0: it, it's very much that moment is like, and we'll talk about it obviously in the next episode, but it is the, it's that Vin Diesel's music moment. <laughs> of the movie franchise. Yeah.
1: Um so this movie 108 minutes long debuted June 6, 2003 in in the US uh, on a budget of 76 million. So pretty much uh, exactly doubled uh from uh the the first one the franchise still grossed 236.3 million mm-hmm. so like a, a still a pretty good success even if it wasn't uh critically so mm-hmm. um and in the kind of co-lead role uh with Uh, paul walker in this one we have uh, a man who would become also uh, a regular part of the franchise later on in tyrese uh, as roman pierce and it's funny uh chris looking back on you know the the way the roman character develops um throughout the movies is like it is like a different human being in this you know that the laughs are still there a little bit but it's a much more kind of like this dude's a like a crazy man a badass in this movie then like uh he's almost uh played up for slapstick in the the more recent entries
2: yeah it's very much at a time too where his music career was still in its beginning years and he was coming yeah. out of that to do a movie for the first time so Again, like we mentioned, Ja Rule walked, so like guys like Ludacris and Tyrese could get in on this and just take the ball and go running with it. But yeah. it is an interesting dichotomy in the fact that they also do a bit of legwork in giving us some Brian backstory throughout the entirety of this movie, which I think more often than not, when you were hitting those points and actually explaining where... Brian sort of came from that, you know, uh Roman and the, that, you know, Roman Pierce in this case, uh, Tyrese's role, it has been his longtime best friend up until certain circumstances happened. And then some of Brian's own like rationale as to why he let Dominic go at the end of the first movie like that is usually been where that second movie had its highs, but then. Mm obviously a lot of lows to go with that which we'll get into as we go
1: for sure um jack if i were to sum up this movie in one word it would be neon
0: yeah i mean (laughs) i mentioned the sort of glowiness of the first one and the underbellies of the car but this is yeah this is like the the proper need for speed underground level looking cars and the whole thing by the way well, like before we get super into the movie, I so this one is 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 uh is based in Miami um and it came out in 2003. And another film that came out in 2003 and both <laughs> came out from Miami was like Bad Boys 2. I'd like to think that Bad Boys 2. And uh, like the cast of Bad Boys 2, my Lawrence and Will Smith and, and, and the cast of this movie, like they were all using the same areas and the same spots because it kind of has a similar sheen to it, obviously not with the like Bruckheimer level production values quite but, uh, yeah, they were just having a big old party down in Miami while they were filming this, all of those cross movies, pollination. How great would that be to think of?
1: It's kind of funny because, like, I definitely would have compared the the first film in terms of, like, the the colour filter that seems to be used on it to, like, the original Bad Boys. And, yeah. yeah. And then, by contrast, you look at this, and from the very first race, it couldn't be more different uh, color palette wise it's so bright it's so neon like no wonder i enjoyed this at the time at like a 14 year old seeing the shiny colors and the loud noises zipping across the screen um i i think you know uh dominic Toretto gets the the kind of badass superhero entrance almost in one where you know he's in the office and he's got his his back to the the action that's going on and when he comes out like he's authoritative and he's the man whereas um Definitely, Brian gets his 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 badass entrance in this as the kind of you know uh, somebody backs out of the race is like oh Ludacris knows a guy, so he calls Brian, who's shirtless on his houseboat. <laughs> it's,
2: like, it's like how long? It's like how long? It's like how long? It's like how long do you need to be there? Three minutes. You got three minutes, and then he just takes off completely. <laughs> and then, of course, once he gets to the scene, like the only person that's giving him any semblance of respect is. Devon Aoki's character, uh, Suki yeah. in this case, who we come to learn is sort of yeah. the on and off girlfriend of Tej, which yeah. is Ludacris' character. So, but,
0: by the way, as if there wasn't enough ludicrous mo- uh, music in this movie, I think one of the first things that Suki says is, move bitch. Yeah. Yeah. And I was just immediately like, oh my god, come on now. <laughs> and this was very much like, you
1: know, we things that date this particular film that it was right uh, in the midst of a uh, the Devon aoki happening because yeah, it's like a year after this or a year and a half after this that sin city comes out as yes, well where she's mm-hmm. miho uh so and this is right and her peak. Or,
2: yeah and then she does dead or alive as well for some reason but mm-hmm. it's good money if you can get it i guess
1: yeah so we have um we have uh, this this first race that is a real kind of. I love the character names of people in this race. So we've got Devon Aoki, Suki. That's 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 fine. But uh, as well as Brian, the other two men in this race, their characters are Slap Jack, in oh, an yeah. obvious shout out to Stevie Ray, yeah, um, <laughs> and um, Orange Julius as well, <laughs> mm. <laughs> which is just terrific <laughs> just terrific um but this is also i and i think this was my first uh time noticing her as like in a big role in the film as the kind of a double agent in this we have uh, monica fuentes played by eva mendez who i thought was like in terms of her performance was probably a caliber of actor uh, chris maybe one level above the the nonsense yeah. of these movies at the time <laughs>
2: It, it, it almost felt like she was too big for this considering she was on, like, training day literally, like, two years before this. Yeah. But it's like, well, I mean, if they paid her well enough to be here, cool, because she did a really good job with her role. She was definitely one of the bright spots in this particular uh, film. Uh, it yeah. was also interesting the fact that after that she'd go on to do, like, kids, she'd be in Ghost Rider and all this other... She's
1: embarrassed,
0: but the less said about that, the better. Yeah. <laughs> she is awesome in Hitch, by the way. And again, mm-hmm. I'd like to think that when uh, Will Smith and Martin Lawrence were coming over to the uh, <laughs> to the set here to party, they were like, they, they saw Eva Mendes and Will Smith was like, you know what, I'm going to do a movie with her one day. And there you go. Two years later, we get Hitch. Yeah. But
2: then again, it's also one of those things like Eva Mendes isn't above roles like this one too because she was at one point in Mortal Kombat Conquest in one episode for it. So... Mm. You know, things
0: like that happen. If the pay is right, Eva Bender is... If the pay is right, pay was, is was right she's Ruby.
2: like, sure,
0: great. Let's she, she was in that god-awful Farrelly Brothers movie called Stuck on You as well, oh, yeah. and yes. with Kinnear and, uh, and Damon. Like, there are so many great actors in that movie. You just should have known so much better. Yeah. Oh,
1: man. And um, so like we mentioned in the first movie about how the like the story of the movie and the the dvd complete players couldn't have been less important um whereas in this i feel like it's an earnest effort to make a like a crime drama out of it because we have like i said a double agent here in in eva mendez as the, the dea agent who's undercover with cole Hauser's carter verone and uh Brian is essentially roped in and then he in turn ropes in uh his old buddy from back home in Barstow Roman Pierce uh to try and infiltrate and and
0: bust Carter uh and his crime empire first of all by the way i just like to say like you talk about Carter Carter own, right i got to applaud them for not going the super obvious, okay, so we've got like a drug lord in Miami. Oh, yeah. (laughs) You know, I could go Mexican. I could go Cuban here. But they were like, no. Argentinian actually <laughs> I feel like they maybe saw like again Johnny Tapia from Bad Boys 2 and they were just like oh he's fucking keeper what are we going to do lads uh, just pick somewhere I don't know uh, uh, Argentina yep they speak Spanish there There you go yeah.
2: it's like Argentinian but then again with the obvious flair of Argentinians being conquered by the Spanish and thus leaving a whole lot of whites over there which just fit the role quite well yeah, it's yeah. My... Um, I, I, I like
0: to think that pop chris because like obviously argentinian you know mortal enemies of the of the resilience <laughs> so why not i, I
1: would have appreciated more if he had like a big oil painting of el diego in his <laughs> at one point
0: <laughs> that would have got me on board
2: yeah it would have been an extra little pop there that's for sure if his
0: yeah. if his number plate was just like booker juniors or something would have been <laughs> yeah. outrageously great um I think the
2: worst the craziest part for me in particular in terms of the casting since we were on that subject, was seeing James Bramar's name there. I'm like, I haven't seen you since Mortal Kombat Annihilation, buddy. And I would have preferred <laughs> like, to have kept it
1: that way. There's there's actually now in the last hours or so Chris, you've really tuned me into the amount of cross pollination between the Fast and Furious and Mortal Kombat cinematic
0: universe. <laughs> it's
2: it's kind um, of messed it's kind of weird how that's come down my, with this is where
0: we're at. Do you think there's another landed. reality where Mortal Kombat is as heralded as Fast and Furious is? Perhaps. <laughs> and that Perhaps. is the dominant franchise below the MCU. Or there's a parallel universe where Ludacris is in Mortal Kombat <laughs> as but himself. I, I, I'm almost bursting with excitement to talk about this concept, lads. We, like, we already touched a bit on music. But in the early two thousands, like late nineties, there was the trend of having the rap song about the movie, yeah. having the lyrics and the name of the movie yeah. like being overlapping, and and, and four, usually the way you did that was by casting Will Smith. It was by
1: yes. casting Will Smith. But, but when uh, Will Smith isn't available,
0: <laughs> but when Will Smith isn't available, or you go Luda, an actor Fall is. I'm I'm sorry, but. To me, when I hear "Too Fast, Too Furious," I don't hear just "Too Fast, Too Furious." I think "Too Fast, Too Furious," too Act fast for you all. Every single time, <laughs> I'm too fast for you all, man. And yeah, Act Four—it's an absolute banger. And I'm trying mm-hmm. to decide whether <laughs> my my other favorite, um, uh, like, song for around this, but for like a film that is is seen as bad is probably. Deepest Bluest, uh, a.k.a. My Hat hat is Like a Shark's Fin uh, by L.L. Cool J from uh, (laughs) (laughs) from Deep Blue Sea back in 1999. And uh, I'd like to think that that was an influence on Luda and his delivery. I'm I'm certain it was. (laughs) Yeah.
2: And then Um, between that and then you also have, like, in this particular soundtrack too, they definitely went more to hip-hop, sort of like Miami scene kind of. Rap How could a they of not? From like Def Jam and the like, and I mean, it I just found it surprising to hear pump it up on something other than Def Jam Vendetta for once in my life.
0: Yep, yeah, and yeah. that uh, we're also uh, speaking of things that have uh, not aged well. We're two for two on having R. Kelly songs on soundtrack. Oh God. these movies—they <laughs> yes. really did do, <laughs> do that.
1: A streak really I couldn't be more happy to be broken as soon as possible in these movies.
0: <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, the the funny thing is there was a. I, I don't know if you guys saw it, but I think it's maybe a year or two ago. There was like a meme passing its way around the internet about how hose in different area codes is played in the first movie. Yes. Yet, it yeah, yeah, yeah. Ludicrous is in the second movie. So mm-hmm. like who, who in the Fast and Furious universe is responsible for hoes in different area codes. <laughs> it, 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 a song in which Haluda refers to himself as the abominable ho-man, yeah. um, which may be one of the greatest nicknames of all time. And if yeah. I was an indie wrestler, I would be adopting that moniker at some stage. Yeah.
1: I, I think when, when you spoke to me about that originally, Jack, it's like you're stunned that that isn't like a uh, uh, main event level gimmick in Hood Slam. The yeah. Abominable man. yeah for sure um I, I try to think so like when we talk about uh in the first movie that johnny Tran is one of the most inconsequential bad guys in the movie i gotta say that in the whole franchise carter Verone is the most like root one tropey villain mm-hmm. in this whole franchise like you know we've already kind of touched upon it that it's like the generic half-thought-out, vaguely uh, ethnic drug lord in Miami is just like, my God. It's Miami, so it had to have drugs, right? Like, they they, they couldn't take it anywhere. And he's even doing the, like, my God, the thing I must have seen in a 100 movies and TV shows at one point where he's torturing the cop that's on the payroll by doing the the rat-in-the-bucket routine. And, like, Jesus God Almighty, like...
0: I, th- I think Game of Thrones did that at Game of Thrones did do that with, um, oh, I hadn't seen in, it for in a Arnhal, while. Yeah. yeah and I I must admit when I was re-watching this my immediate thought was oh yeah Game of Thrones did this <laughs> I wonder if the Dan and Dave were watching and going you know what that's a pretty thing we, we could put that in our in our uh, TV show yeah, yeah that's a good
2: idea Between one of the that, stri- uh, for yeah. me though what I saw in that scene it wasn't uh whatever the detective's name was in this, I saw Detective Flash from Batman Begins, and I'm like, what the hell are you doing in this movie? This is like... (laughs) This wasn't that long after he took that exact role with the same fucking look on top of it. It's
1: just... (laughs) He's just... Mark Boone Jr. is just that guy who's, like, that kind of role in everything. Um, And this, he's called was Detective Whitworth. Um, But... uh... Oh, there was something else. Oh, yeah. In terms of um a- a police and casting, one of the things I i constantly forget until I come back to Too Fast, Too Furious is that one of the characters that does, of course, carry over from film to film is Tom Barry's Agent Bilkins right. uh, a- as the dude who kind of drags Brian back into this. um And I, for one, love the scene where the two of them go to the Destruction Derby to talk to Roman Pierce. Um, and I think it is, like, it is a sharp downhill turn from, like, the introduction of Roman Pierce relative to where he sits now uh, in, you know, coming into Fast 9 as one of the characters. Like, this scene is the best he ever was in, in this franchise in terms of looking like a cool guy.
2: hmm
0: yeah i i agree by the way is there anything more jobber worthy than the name agent bilkins like <laughs> <laughs> you can make this guy sound less like somebody anyone would want to be interested in if you with a name like bilkins yeah and he gets he gets uh, buried later on for having
1: his like hawaiian shirt on or it's like oh nice shirt it's like it's my day off
0: yeah that's him trying to be tom Selleck. i think Uh, i i feel like if everyone in miami has that trope at some stage of going right gotta go for the hawaiian shirt today yeah but yeah he 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 did sort of is it tyrese movie by movie do you think he just loses a few more iq points they just (laughs) kind of take Mm -hmm. uh, take a little off the bottom a little off the bottom and then he's just an
1: absolute clown Oh, he like he's a complete clown now, and like there is, you know, there are moments where he looks a bit of an idiot, or you know, he looks like a bit of a hothead or something like this, you know, in in too fast, too furious. But I don't think it's on the same level as it would eventually get. Um, by the way, um, the reason I make
0: that point is because ludicrous's IQ goes. From oh this yeah, movie. to, like, past eight, he turns into one of the greatest scientists in the history of the planet. (laughs) Like... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> in this he's a mechanic who yeah. runs an underground like race of the- and by the end this guy's like fucking hacking into databases yeah. and shit he knows how to use every single computer to do it he can plug like a fucking paperclip into a phone and turn it into- <laughs> you know what I mean Like he, he can a yeah. shit to a level that is almost like incomprehensible yeah, yeah in this first movie I mean he's, he's just a mechanic man he, go- he-, he goes
1: from cameo to Edward Snowden and like, exactly. know, like he is the greatest exactly. <laughs> intelligence it, it, it's expert. Almost like the,
2: world. the producers looked at Tyrese and Ludacris's respective rap careers and went, "We're going to base who the smarter one is on that."
0: Yeah, as Luda went from strength to strength, having his hose and those area codes. Uh, Chris, what do you think about like? It, it
1: feels like a bit of a gamble in terms of like acting to have this sequel helmed by a guy who you know in Paul Walker who very much outside of these the the original film hasn't really proven himself and Tyrese a guy who isn't really an actor yeah. um what do you think about that risk and how do you think it came off here
2: I just think the problem was again uh not getting Vin Diesel signed on in any way shape or form for this and having to alter everything around it to make it, hey, we're going to have to focus on Brian for this. We're going to have to give him, you know, set pieces to, you know, expand his story and play whatever beat we need to do for it. And just a lot of it felt very tropey uh, and cheesy and somewhat cringe for most points, with the exception of a few high points sprinkled around the movie here and there. Like, there's definitely enough, I feel, with the action in certain scenes to where the movie can get away with, oh, okay, this wasn't a complete waste of time, but it's nowhere near the level of the first.
1: Um, it, it feels to me very much like there was an early draft of this script where the actual plot was that, like, uh vin diesel was in the the Robert pierce role as like he gets his parole from prison or something even though i believe there's like an uh there's it's so ahead of its time and as much as in some territories the first film has a post-credit sequence where dom toretto is in mexico mm-hmm. uh after the events of the film but like i feel like there's kind of oh you'll get amnesty from your crimes if you join brian on this uh undercover mission in this originally what may have been the germ of the idea? Um, one of the, the trivia facts I loved about this movie, um, I meant to mention it when we talked about color earlier on, is that so much neon lighting is used in this film that they had a technical expert for the neon
0: on set at all times during this. Oh my God. <laughs> I mean, just oh, you've got to applaud it, haven't you? Really, yeah. what What was your role in that? I was the neon expert, mm. I, I loved that so much. I think one of the things I found cool, like, or, or, or the way that they transitioned into all the neon and stuff is that it's almost like this movie is a bridge between Fast and Furious and Tokyo Drift. Because Fast and Furious, obviously, there's still a few of the kind of traditional, like, street racery cars, which tend to lean more Japanese. Um, but there's, there's a lot of American cars in the first one. Whereas, yeah. like, literally all of the important cars in this pretty much are, are all, like, you know, Brian's driving Skylines and Lancers and, like, all of the, like, there's there's Toyotas in here, there's a Mazda RX-7 at one point, like, yeah. all of the cars are super, super Japanese and it's like, yeah. uh, it's like we're gradually leaning more and more and they were like, you know what, no, fuck it, let's just do the next one in Japan. Yeah. Like, if you want a neon yeah. effect with loads of super cool Japanese cars, why don't we Mine's just fucking well, go to Japan? go
2: to Tokyo, yeah.
0: Yeah, you have exactly. The, you have the point where, like, the main use
1: of like, uh, there's a point at which Tyree starts using an American muscle car towards the end when he does the ejector seat based on one of the generic oh, henchmen. But by the and, way, but I'm it's, so it's, glad it's... you're
0: bringing that up because that is my favorite bit of this whole movie <laughs> when he sends Roberto fucking skybound the ejector seat. I mean, top. But it's not
1: even your standard like you thought. You think like a Bond ejector seat where he goes up through the roof. It's like no motherfucker just blasts off the side into
0: a lake. Yeah. <laughs> Just sideswipe fucking ejection from car. Get was out of this
2: like shit. Via was bitch or something like that is what he said. That's That's what what he says, says <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs>
0: it's the oh. bitch that really adds the punctuation to the sentence you see so,
1: something we didn't mention about that uh first race that i feel like you know somebody at some point was no we need to make sure that like people know the stunts in this movie are on a different level in that initial race where ludicrous has the surprise and his yep. surprise is raising the drawbridge and you have that moment where you're like oh this is going to be silly and have a lot less practical effects than the first one when in the first race we have ball walker hit the nas going over the bridge and leapfrogging another yeah. car <laughs> in midair I and landed...
0: that. what i you're... totally bought that i I, <laughs> don't, I didn't even think that was some you know, effect i just thought that was legit <laughs> yeah. i it's thought like, they did f- that
2: fuck fuck it they, they they did they did a thing on this one and just like all right th- this is what you're going for here which is fair and again with those, I will say this though, for the cars in uh, Too Fast, Too Furious in particular, that Nissan Skyline is oh. kind of an icon in and of itself there. Just, I keep remembering to that particular time itself and for a couple of years that Nissan Skylines were pretty much the rage in just about every single like racing video game you could get them on, which
1: yeah, understandable. I think it's, like, one of the early ones you get in Need for Speed Underground. <laughs> yeah, and it was one of yeah. the
2: last generations of that uh, Skyline before they went into, like, the next family of them, of mm. those specific cars, so there's something there to be considered too, so. Yeah,
0: it's 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 the holy trinity of Nissan, Mitsubishi, and Subaru yeah. who are, like, the main three, like, and I don't think, I, I, correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think there's a heavy Subaru presence in this movie, like, obviously brian's cars are the skyline and, and the mitsubishi but i, I don't know i don't actually know because do you think like they must have had deals with the car companies and yeah, I, i'd like to definitely. think that that subaru were kind of just like nah, i don't really fancy this i'm afraid <laughs> we're not going to give you any impresses for this movie
1: <laughs> if it doesn't have vin
0: we're not in is
1: what they said yeah, um, yeah exactly yeah um one of my favourite things about this is how, you know, uh, I mentioned that it has pretenses towards we're gonna make this like a, a crime drama, but to me on the whole, I feel this is kind of like a buddy caper of a movie, because especially towards the end, like it goes full cartoon. So, between the ejector seat, where motherfucker gets blasted into a lake, um the elaborate well I say elaborate uh but the the escape scene where they drive into the warehouse and then four million cars come out like mm-hmm. a preposterous number of cars come out so th- for those of you who haven't seen it in a while they like the police are in hot pursuit when when they have the the stuff on them uh the cash and they drive into this warehouse that they had set up with Tej beforehand um and the police surround them they're waiting for uh brian and roman to come out the shutters come out and there's like a, a vanguard of pickup trucks slam into the the cop cars clear some space and then just every car you've ever seen in the world speeds out in all sorts of different directions um like it's it's wild it's silly it's preposterous there's like a, maybe a factor of 10 the amount more cars than should have been able to fit in that building that came out of it um and then as well some of the, the stunts they do in that final chase it it it's they're so cartoony to the point where even tyree says this is some dukes
0: of hazard shit yeah i it, i that scene is really fucking cool um there's, there's only one other movie that I can think of, and it was actually another movie funnily enough around this time. I think there's a lot of themes emerging where they use the obfuscation of multiple cars to hide which cars are the important cars and that is Analyze This. I don't know if you guys can remember it. Are they going to say the remake of The Italian Job? <laughs> <laughs> no. The, the less said about that, the better. Without Michael Caine, you can get absolutely fucked. Um, but yeah in, in analyze this there's the thing where they're having the big meeting with all the mobsters and uh they go under a bridge as the police are following them in a helicopter and like this traditional sort of black sedan style uh mobster car and then you get like 15 or 20 of them coming out of there and uh yeah that was the first thing that i thought which i think was a y- release like the year Hi before and welcome this. back to me talking that was about the first thing whatever I thought I of that scene where all the cars appear and like fly off in different directions and i wonder if it was inspired by that But it is a pretty cool scene. I've got to say, like, it's a good way of, uh, like, a a believable way of distracting the police away from, like, the important cars in that situation. I
1: mean, yeah, believable in the sense of that would distract the police, but not believable in almost
0: any other way. (laughs) (laughs) In like, where were they? Where did they all come from? In In terms of the fit, like... Yeah,
2: part of you just has to think, like, how much money did these people owe Tej that he convinced them to all take part (laughs) in this plot? Because
1: there had to be a lot, specifically. That man is connected. Yes. Uh, That is a lot of people, and a lot of people wrecking car, very expensive looking cars Mm -hmm. in it as well. Um...
2: You could say that he has hoes in different area codes. (laughs) In literally
0: different area codes. (laughs) Yeah. Oh my. I, I Do you know what another thing about Ludacris that I remember that makes me happy is that do you remember MTV Cribs? Yeah. He has his own basketball court on MTV Cribs with his own name like etched into it and <laughs> every time he takes a shot he shouts "Ludacris!" Luda! <laughs> legit man he takes like a couple of shots every single one Luda, and then just chucks the ball so i'm like every time you know you know how some people would like yell kobe when they throw a basketball yes, I'm like that was yeah. that was the that was the gimmick for a while not me mate whenever i think about throwing a basketball i want to shout Luda to this day <laughs> oh my god
1: um so what do we think of the, you know, we've kind of danced around the uh, the generic crime plot with the double agent stuff. Uh, how do you think, Jack, because I think we've heard the least from you on this. How do you think it all comes off? It is very tropey. But what I will say is because Eva Mendez is kind of at the center of it, I, I, I think she does about as good a job as you can of of making it like semi-plausible, I guess.
0: Yeah, I guess so. Um, one thing that I feel like at the end of this movie that that, that it makes me interested, but like I guarantee they're almost no way going to bring him back. But the bad guy doesn't die at the end of this movie, right? Yeah. So Carter Verone is led away. Still out there. By Eva Mendes, and he vows revenge yeah. upon he's, these men. He's funding John Cena in the next <laughs> one. I... Literally, I, well, as I was watching this, I thought, please, can they bring back Carter of You know, like they had that thing, the whole mysterious thing with like the voice that's like uh, this guy in um, Idris Elba's character and stuff in, uh, in Hobbs and Shaw, and yeah. you're like not entirely sure who it is behind. How amazingly <laughs> anticlimactic would it be yeah. if it was Carter of Because <laughs> there'd definitely
1: be a huge amount of people who'd be like,
0: who? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, how many people have seen those movies have just not bothered to watch Too Fast, yeah. Too Furious? Mm-hmm. Uh, Who, like with a gun to their head, could not tell you the name Carter
1: Verone. <laughs> like, yeah,
2: that's probably the reason why he hasn't been brought back in some sort of way at any point. Yeah, just because
0: it wouldn't be worth it for the lack of pop. Mm-hmm. The, the 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 jump on off the ramp onto the yacht is oh pretty fucking cool right yeah yeah,
1: yeah. That's, that's cool
0: that, that's when tyrese says you know
1: full we're going dukes a hazard and i think there is a great exchange in the car mm-hmm. uh, where it's like you're not thinking what i think you're thinking kind of, <laughs> oh head yes head. he is <laughs> and i love as well that that isn't even the end of it is like it's such a dumb plan in some ways because he's like uh, Paul Walker says, "Like, oh, he, you know, he, he'll, uh, he'll shoot her if he sees a chopper coming or a boat coming. Oh, but he's not going to see the giant car that you're about to slam <laughs> into his fucking roof, mate. <laughs> not only that, but when they do it, they fuck themselves up so much that they can't even get out of the car. That he has plenty of time to get up on the deck with a shotgun." <laughs>
0: i would just love it if it was like 30 seconds of them awkwardly struggling to just get out of the car <laughs> with, like with severe concussions yeah exactly <laughs> like what kind of just stands there and he's like super flowy shirt like come yeah. on guys I should just shoot you but movie logic yeah well that's it one of the movie logic moments is that they managed to do that stunt and not only
1: does the one gun they have managed to stay in the car but also within arm's reach that fucker in real life is falling down you know in that spot underneath the seat where you just can't get anything and you just have to (laughs) There's, like, loose change and wrappers and things
0: nope, like that. No, there. You're just no, never getting back. No
2: man, Yeah, it's no man's land at that point.
0: Just a, a card from in. two years ago you cancelled <laughs> because you thought you'd lost it. Yeah, yeah. I love it if you just saying it. It's like, oh, my American Express. All right. <laughs> Or in showing my age now, like a
1: bunch of trolley tokens for when you go and do the shopping at the weekend, <laughs> all down there. Do they have
0: those in, uh, in, <laughs> in America, um, Chris, where you get like, you have to put like money into a trolley before you can unhook it from the other trolleys. Yeah. yeah. They do. I do just, they, I just,
2: they do these things, I think, uh, shopping malls here, like the little kind of. Um, they're not like smart cards or anything, but they're like for kids, for basically like wheeling around your kids and stuff like that. I believe, uh, well, and they I do guess... it at airports too, where they just have yeah. like specific sorts.
1: I guess co- I, I suppose
0: that they... coins that is way more advanced. <laughs> yeah,
1: I, I suppose they've got to have it on lock. Seeing as in many ways and around this time as well, in a par- in a parallel subculture, the U.S. was the the country that innovated the the art of stealing and then destroying shopping carts, doing stunts. Yeah. Uh, but well, yeah i don't think uh it, the the card system sounds way cooler than where we get like uh this little token about the size of a 1 euro coin that is like you know dogs trust or whatever (laughs) that you paid like (laughs) a five euro for them to give you it so that you can put it in and 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 get your trolley out because they're all chained together my job in my very first job i worked for a supermarket and part of my job entailed if someone phoned us and said somebody has dumped a shopping cart on a lawn or in a in a like a body of water somewhere in the town 16 year old me had to go there and fish it out and bring it back walking Aww. through the town with a shopping
0: cart amazing like an
1: absolute idiot
0: but did a did a like noz injected supercar ever land on one of those <laughs> trolleys <laughs> And I would have looked a fool
1: because I didn't. I never brought my shotgun down, looking. For yeah, exactly. Big
0: Did you have your like open shirt so people could see your chest as well? <laughs> this, I, I think as well. Yeah. So,
1: this is uh, in very much the filling the Vin Diesel role. There were definitely things written in to this movie specifically so that Tyrese could be shirtless and/or flexing.
0: Yeah. Oh. There is a lot of Tyrese on display at all times in this movie. Yeah.
1: I, I look, you know what? You know, if I look like Tyrese did in two thousand and three, guys, I would be. You,
0: you would have to pay me more to pop the shirt back on. Yeah, yeah. The dude's <laughs> fair, put together. Fair, you know, fair, yeah. I, I, I think Vince McMahon was watching this movie. Like, ah, oh, you know what? If this doesn't work out for this Tyrese guy, I'm gonna bring him in. Yeah, it's like you know the way like a lot of actors have the nudity
1: clause. Is like if I was Tyrese in two thousand three, I'd have the no nudity clause. It was like a million dollars extra to be fully dressed
0: on yeah, set. Yeah, exactly, yeah. I, um, you know, like, you were talking about the plot and stuff, Dave, like, I, I didn't get to it. Such as it is. Such as, such, as, such as it was. But the fact that they just get a full pardon at the end after all of the shit that they've done, like, especially Brian, who, like, you know, let one of the most wanted criminals in Los Angeles escape apparently, then made yeah. his way down to Miami and, like, created an awful lot of mayhem and was overseen all of these yeah. illegal and, races and, and they stole a bunch of cash and they <laughs> took half the wedge yeah. like they gave some of it
2: back yeah but... the be- the best part was the whole like you know they just find three bags are you sure and then tyree's like okay maybe there were six bags and then you know the whole head all around with the james Remar like agent and stuff like that and then yes. you see them at the end it's like Oh, so you skim some
0: off the top, basically, on those three bags. Yeah, yeah. Got it. That is not how police work. Well, that's all. what I was gonna
1: say. Like, that's one of those suspension of disbelief moments because absolutely, real police know how much is supposed to be there. Yeah, exactly. You know, know and I suppose there. in in real life, the version is that the police are the ones skimming the ones
0: <laughs> skimming the money off the top. Yeah, um, and the fact that they then like said that they're gonna open a garage. With yeah. this money that they stop like if they open the garage, you're like, so how did you fund this garage that you've got yeah. oh, you know nothing no way no no which no is reason. funny because
1: that's the thing that um in later movies, Tej is like that's his life's goal to open a garage, but in this movie, he already has one yeah i don't think,
2: they, I, don't think I don't think they specified whether it was something that he owned specifically or whether are you just ran his operations out of that though okay from what I okay.
1: We'll 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 give them that
0: one then. Does that mean I can go to my local Quick Fit and like have a business (laughs) in there, like in the corner? (laughs) (laughs) Just Jack and Devon Aoki rocking up to play cards. Me and Suki, (laughs) we sell fidget spinners exclusively. You know, maybe it's a bit out of date, but they're going to come back around, lads. I guarantee it. Uh, no problem. But you want to, you want to, uh, like, a,
1: a, another bit of trivia that I loved about this, speaking of Debonaoki, Aoki, was that Devin Aoki had never driven a car before being cast in this film. No way. <laughs> yeah. They had to give her one of those really quick uh c- crash. uh like crash courses in driving and then yeah. stunt driving to get her her license mm-hmm. it this. wasn't
2: the first time they had a situation with that either because if you remember the first movie uh with letty and mia like they the actresses uh didn't have their driver's licenses at the time so they had to go through that whole crash course with them as well so it's like well we're, we've done this before we'll get you ready kid yeah
1: that- is, is that like a unique actor thing where it's like you're applying for something called a fasten and if you're is and you don't think to get the driver's <laughs> license beforehand well you lie like you're you, yeah, you show up on set first day
0: one and you're just like, oh, oh, actually drive them. <laughs> yeah. Oh,
1: oh, no, sorry,
0: my mistake. <laughs> you know, you know, like um, is it like the Friends gag where Joey's got like he can ride horses and play guitar and, and it's speak like French. Yeah, and speak French and shit. Like uh, that maybe that's what it was. But like early two thousands, no problem, they rushed through, they got their licenses. Can you imagine trying to ensure that now? Somebody that just <laughs> literally got their driver's license They're gonna drag race around miami (laughs) i'm just gonna film a few scenes where i'm fucking drag racing around miami or los angeles like that like half the budget of the movie would have just been insuring like lay i think Mm. that's the only way they could do that shit um so uh my my last two bits of
1: um trivia that i have here before we start kind of wrapping up um i'll I'll do them in order so my second favorite one is that orange julius's car in this was one of the backup don toretto cars from the first movie Mm -hmm. yeah yeah Uh, yeah and the other one is that carter varone's lair was a home previously owned by sylvester stallone yep (laughs)
0: I, i i saw that as well but I, I, think you're, uh, I think you've massively buried the lead on what the best fact about this. Because you talked about it on the previous film, and I, I, I didn't mention it because I thought you would do it again, where you talked about people that might have been cast in the role. Oh, they go on. They almost cast 50 Cent in Tyrese Gibson's role in this movie. Wow. I mean, what a film that could have been. Good lord. Imagine Holy him still being shit. involved.
2: I, I feel I like know. the soundtrack would have improved massively, to be honest with <laughs> you. Jesus.
0: Yes, exactly. I think The Candy Shop might have been. <laughs> but then, would. What would Fiddy's take on a Too Fast, Too Furious song be? Maybe he would have had that Dre production, though, which would have been pretty sweet. But I, I don't know, man. I feel like you need somebody as obnoxious as Ludacris to mm-hmm. carry off the soundtrack for this movie. I think it makes it all the more right. you know, prestigious, I'm going to go with. I,
2: I do think it's hilarious, though, hearing about the fact that Job Rule got offered 500k to come in for the sequel and just declined it because... It was getting too big for his britches.
1: <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. You'd love to rewind
0: the clock on that. <laughs> yeah. By the way, it was also the 16th highest grossing movie of 2003. What are you doing in 2003, people? <laughs> Come on. <laughs> um, yeah, apparently so... he keep
2: finding Nemo for a week, so, you know, it was doing <laughs> something. <laughs>
1: i think it's only fair that if we we talked about um the way in which some of the language in the first one badly dates the film something i read that was really jarring to me in in this one is um some of the line deliveries of paul walker in this oh. um oh. are borderline racially insensitive yeah <laughs> And it was something that, I think even the last time I watched it, I wasn't, like, I, I, I noticed it, but it didn't stick with me as much as it did. And holy fuck, Chris, it was bad. Paul
2: Walker went from, I am awkwardly white and kind of scared of all this in Fast and, the first Fast and Furious, to, wow, I am just going to appropriate black culture, whatever the hell I didn't please, into Fast and yeah. Furious, which was just at first it's like choice i guess it was a choice
1: at first it's like the odd word and you think like okay it's a little weird because he says like bruh a couple of times (laughs) um but by the end of the movie it's like it's full on what are you doing like are you okay (laughs) what what is happening here
0: yeah i um <laughs> i i think they probably look back and and regret this but you kind of feel like tyrese maybe should have said guys can we just not with this yeah I, I think I...
1: certain people were getting too big for their white t-shirts at this point <laughs> <laughs> oh man oh uh, um look i we, we we don't want to end the movie on that down though but i feel like it should have been mentioned um let's wrap up too fast and too furious uh too fast too furious with uh any highlights we haven't gotten to yet I'll, I'll go to jack first
0: Uh i mean i i pretty much did what i wanted which was to put over ludicrous as much as possible <laughs> <laughs> that's fair yeah uh yeah i i i quite i think like the scene where yeah. um where Brian and Roman like walk in on um, Verone, like um, torturing that guy was a big escalation for me of, of, of his character. And I was like, it didn't really feel like that kind of movie up to that point. And it was like, almost somebody dropped in like oh we need to make this guy real evil so we're just gonna have him torture somebody and that's gonna be like the the thing we do to to make these two like really be invested in trying to take this motherfucker down Mm -hmm. um which i i just thought like it it really didn't feel i don't know about you guys but to me like where it was way more cartoony it didn't really feel like that sort of movie to the that that needed a torture scene in any stage to escalate Mm -hmm. but yeah Mm -hmm. Well, that was a bit of a weird one, but yeah, generally just, um, I just love ludicrous guys. I, <laughs> I really do. Understandable,
2: yeah, for sure.
0: I, I, I can't help but love him so much. What about you, Chris?
2: I do think that some of the better scenes between Brian and Roman were every time that Roman was just reminding him that, hey, uh, you're kind of getting yourself emotionally compromised here with Monica being in the picture every time, but I think just for the sheer comedy of it, when Brian was driving around Enrique throughout that whole huge chase near the ending of the movie, and then Enrique, like, this whole, like, freaking out at points when Brian was driving around and just, like... Sort of like Brian almost winning him over to an extent, but then... (laughs) At the end, it's just like, nah, man, I still gotta kill you. I got a job to do. And just yeah. Like, well, all right then.
1: <laughs> a little bit where he's almost glued to the seat of terror. Just goes, "You're a good driver, man." <laughs> <laughs> it was so, really good. A blast,
2: and I think that first race too was probably one of the better scenes in the movie, just because it evoked that feeling that we had with the first movie, as it was before. It sort of went down the paths that it decided to go which
0: it's the i think it's the best actual like it's the most like you say it's the closest allegory to the first movie and it feels to me like the best pers- like chase and like car scene in the whole movie Uh, that isn't like you know them landing cars on top of yachts and stuff like Mm. it it feels like the most uh, before it went to wacky town like it 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 kind of felt grounded at that point and it's like oh cool like this is a guy that we know and he's turning up and he's got this new street racing environment you know after being shirtless on a houseboat as they pointed out earlier in the movie (laughs) and this is like an introduction to It's cool because then you felt like, okay, there's this this linked scene across America of all these different, you know, uh, and and then we get the same thing in in, in Tokyo Drift where it's like, okay, so we've seen LA, we've seen Miami, and now we're going to Tokyo. And at that point, it kind of felt like it was like a traveling street racing circus. The idea of like all these different characters being intertwined with each other before they were just like, no, fuck it. Let's just drag a safe through the streets of Rio de Janeiro because why (laughs) the fuck not? (laughs) I am
2: believe me i am excited to talk fast five with you guys just from Rio de Janeiro's perspective on the movie oh Alone, it's gonna I be fast.
0: i mean when i saw like at brazilian fury was gonna be a man we're doing this podcast with i was like right i'm just gonna let him go on fast <laughs> five me and they're just gonna listen the perfect man in so many ways
1: for for the cast uh one thing i want to mention before we go is that like in terms of the reception to this movie uh Uh, it would be putting it mildly to say it was panned. Uh, It received two nominations in the Razzies that year. Um, It didn't win either. What for, though? So it was nominated for worst remake or
0: sequel. Okay. uh,
1: In a... Oh, wait till you hear it. Like, this was a vintage year for the Razzies. The other nominees were the Texas Chainsaw Massacre from Justin uh, T'Kelly. Oh, my God. Dumb and Dumberer. Um, Too Fast Too Furious and the winner Charlie's Angels Full Throttle
0: okay that's fair I was going to say what beat from Justin to Kelly but that makes total sense
1: the other category it was nominated for and didn't win was this is my favourite title for an award worst excuse for an actual movie uh, <laughs> the, nom- <laughs> the nominees were Too Fast, Too Furious, Charlie's Angels Full Throttle, From Justin to Kelly, The Real Cancun, and The Winner, The Cat in the
0: Hat. Oh my God. Yeah, they did do it. A- it was a live action one. With Mike Myers, it? yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, God. That yeah. was just as-, as Myers started to go down the pipes big time. Yeah.
2: But I mean, this was the year that no matter what anyone says, no matter what anyone has done, no movie was worse than Jiggly.
1: Yeah, Julie swept the awards that year. Uh, By the way, is Benifer a thing again? Benifer is back.
0: (laughs) Oh, God. God. That is what we needed in 2021. We need a Jeegli 2 is coming to a cinema near you very (laughs) soon. I I love that Julie
1: won Worst Picture, Worst Actor, Worst Actress, Worst Director. But the one thing I will say as well is that Ben Affleck didn't just win for Gili. Ben Affleck won Worst Actor for three films in the same year because he was nominated for Daredevil, Gigli, and Paycheck.
0: Oh God, they all sucked
1: <laughs> Yeah, uh, it, Not to be, uh, he is also matched. Cuba Gooding Jr. was also nominated for three films in that category for Boat Trip, The Fighting Temptations, and Radio, as was Ashton Kutcher, nominated for Cheaper by the Dozen, Just Married, and My Boss's Daughter oh
0: yeah Yeah. just married is horrible like have you seen it no oh mm, oh. (laughs) yeah kutcher there's a reason he fell out of the the collective consciousness uh he wasn't very good and now he's gone and that that makes me happier i think i don't have to see him in movies anymore Julie also won for worst screenplay,
1: worst cup worst on screen couple, and received a few more nominations. It got worst supporting actor and actress nominations for Al Pacino and Laney Kazan,
0: mm-hmm. respectively. So Yeah. Uh, I-, I also think inadvertently was like one of the key things that killed Kevin Smith's career. Because yeah. that was the you know, him doing Jersey Girl was meant to be his diversion into like mainstream cinema and people were so sick of Affleck and, and, um, and Lopez at that point, the he's the main two cast members of the uh, of Jersey Girl, being those two, and he was forced to like he he'd made like a in his movie like was it like forty five minutes of their relationship getting together uh, before she eventually passes away during childbirth. When the actual finished movie came out, it was like five minutes, and it's like oh, no, J Lo died while giving birth, like in a poochie died on its way to its home planet style toss off. <laughs> oh man
1: oh and on the word toss off we're going to bring this show to an end (laughs) do that to me i'm classier uh we'll be back soon uh talking the next two films in the franchise that being uh fast and furious tokyo drift and fast and furious uh the start uh the the two films that really start to take the piss with the number convention in the franchise that is completely off the rails um it has been a pleasure uh to speak with you gentlemen this evening uh, i'll go around the table now and and get some plugs where uh where people can
0: check out what you're doing or follow you uh we'll go with jack first i am at jack laser on twitter jacklayze co co-host with the lovely dave ryan here a video games and nerd culture ephemera podcast called link to the cast uh where we talk about all sorts of good stuff like up-to-date news stories And uh, yeah, generally, uh, mostly uh, (laughs) at the moment, like 45 minutes of similar talk to this, where we're talking about TV and movies and music and and stuff as well. And mostly, yes, Bob Hoskins as well. And uh, if if there's anybody interested in the uh, wonderful game of football or soccer, if you're that way inclined, uh, we are about to do a big euros preview show within the next month to which previews. we need to start
1: get working on
0: <laughs> oh don't worry i've already got a mental list of things i want to talk about in my head uh cool. you know it, it goes ludicrous and then euros uh, <laughs> so i'm glad i got half yeah. of that out i started getting panicky when i got
1: uh, multiple phone updates today about euro squads being confirmed i was like oh yeah that recording session is around the corner yep, as well. there's a
0: 17 year old guy in the polish squad that we can talk about anyway <laughs> link to the cast, at link to the cast on Twitter, link to the cast on all of your podcast uh, apps and things of that nature. That would be me. What about you, Chris? Where can we check your stuff out?
2: All right. so for me in particular, uh, both Twitter and Instagram, I'm at Brazilian Fury. That's Brazilian with an S instead of a Z. Uh, You can pretty much find my main podcast, which is on the PWM network, as well as our good friends at Days of Thunder here. Uh, That's at Strong Style Story, where Myself and Jeffrey Wessel pretty much take the piss out of New Japan Pro Wrestling at this point. We took a tour off, but we're doing another episode sometime soon, eventually. You can also go to the Night of the Living Geeks Network to check out my other podcast that I do with my close friend Jordan Young called Soundtracks on the Sticks, where we break down video game soundtracks and sort of our own... Life stories around that. Uh, the two of us and another friend of mine just did an episode on uh, Dance Dance Revolution just last month. So feel free to check that. Mm. Great out Great
0: choice. Yep. Have you ever done Final Fantasy VIII? Uh, yes, that was our debut
2: episode actually.
0: Ah, uh, oh, I, you you have a new subscriber. I I <laughs> I am I am getting my phone now and <laughs> i <I'm laughs> to tell you that. <laughs> yeah. Holy a live on
1: air subscription
0: <laughs> my favorite uh, video game soundtrack of all time just saying
1: uh i i won't put over uh for myself link the cast too much because uh jack already did a, a very able job but uh yeah as, as chris mentioned i also am one of the hosts of days of thunder on this very pwom podcast network i think we're just around getting to the best time for you to start to subscribe to days of thunder because we are Inching close to Starcade 98.
2: Oh my god, Um, it's coming. We
1: are we are going to have a couple of traumatic events (laughs) in the next few months that start the inexorable decline of WCW between the end of the streak and the finger poke of doom. It's it's all coming down the pike. Uh so if you want to subscribe as soon as possible to hear what it was like in the before times before this show truly drove us insane um we've
2: only been waiting
0: two years for this now guys
1: i know and it feels like maybe we should slow down i don't know if we're ready for it yet
0: um (laughs) this is where the regret will set in for you both after this period
1: particularly for lee because lee hasn't seen any of this stuff oh,
0: <laughs> oh my goodness me
1: <laughs> yeah you see the thing that the thing that works well for me with this podcast is that the longer we go the more we get into territory i remember from when i was a kid because i used to watch latter-day wcw mm-hmm. whereas lee used to watch a lot of early 90s wcw and tailed off mm-hmm. uh, around 98 right so it's going to be much worse for him um oh, yeah, yeah. i'm by me <laughs> Uh right, anyway, yeah, uh at WCW Thunderpod on Twitter and for myself at the date dave. Gentlemen, thanks for your time and uh we'll be back talking the next two films very soon. Bye bye.